Um, I've said this before, and this is not from the mind of Danny. I, uh, a lot of things, there's nothing new under the sun, but I went to a conference several years ago, and I heard a man say that the two most important questions, the two most important questions in all of existence are, is there a God and has he spoken? Is there a God and, and has he spoken? And I, th- when I first heard that, I thought, that's really interesting. If I, were to, if I were just to try to make up what are the two most important questions, I don't know if I would have come up with that, but I really believe that. that you can't really move forward in understanding yourself and, and the world, much less your relationship with God, without first establishing, do I really believe that there is a God? Does he truly exist? And the second question is, if I believe that there is a God, has he spoken? Because if he has spoken, what he has to say is of the utmost importance, of the utmost importance. If he hasn't spoken, then he's just kind of leaving us to, to roam or to float or to figure it out, or he doesn't want himself to be known by us. But we emphatically believe that there both is a God and that he has spoken. We believe uh, that the words of God are life itself, that the words of God are living that the words of God are are active and that they are relevant today, yesterday, and they will be relevant in the future. We believe that the words of God contain answers that we could not know otherwise, That, that, that there are certain answers that only God can give us that we can't simply just come to by our own reasoning and logic. And we believe that the words of God are truth, ultimate truth, truth itself, and that there is no meaninglessness in God or his ways, that everything that God has said to us has an eternal value. So we believe that there is a God and we believe that God has spoken. Knowing this, we also believe that God has spoken through different means throughout the course of history. We see that God actually walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So there was a, there was a very personal relationship between man and God in the Garden of Eden. We see in, uh, in the Old Testament, we see in his relationship with Moses that God spoke through the burning bush audibly. We see that God spoke to Moses, to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai as he gave the Ten Commandments and what we call the Mosaic Law. We also see throughout the course of the Old Testament that God spoke through the prophets And a prophet is somebody that God has specifically ordained to be his spokesperson, to be the mouth of God, that God spoke to his people via somebody else, that they were known as a prophet. So we have the major prophets and we have the minor prophets. We have books like Isaiah and Jeremiah that are actually speaking the words of God through man, a specific person, a prophet, to the chosen people. What we also see is we see Jesus Christ entering the picture in the New Testament, that Jesus came as the very Son of God, as God the Son, and he, we see in the New Testament, is the ultimate prophet, that he is actually the final verbal spokesperson for God, that he is the the final prophet, he is the ultimate high priest, and he is and will be the true king forever. So we believe that God has spoken, and that what we have right now in the word of God is the, what we would call the whole counsel of God to man. Now, this is not everything about God. This is not a comprehensive, a comprehensive study of God himself because scripture defines God as, as infinite. So even though 
those of us that are Christ followers will one day go to heaven and we'll have perfected minds and perfected bodies, we, we still, even in that setting, cannot fully know God because, because he is infinite. So we will continually, even in heaven, be learning more and more and more about God. But what we have in the Bible is enough. Not just squeak by, but what God has defined as this is enough for you to understand me and for you to understand righteousness. So not every single word of Jesus that he uttered is recorded in the Bible. And not every single word uttered by a prophet in the Old Testament is actually recorded in the Bible. But the things that are recorded in the Bible are the things that God specifically said, this is important. This is what I am recording in my whole counsel to you while this earth exists until Jesus comes again and you will be brought up into heaven and we'll have a face-to-face relationship and there'll be a whole new level of knowledge that I will introduce you to. So knowing that, that God has spoken, uh, that his words are life, that his words are truth, and that his words give answers, and that God has spoken through the prophets, that God has spoken through Jesus Christ, that we have the whole counsel of God to man in the Bible, with that kind of as a background, we can look at little, tiny, somewhat unknown, two-page books of the Old Testament in a minor prophet speaking in very specific ways in a very specific time in history. The book of Haggai was written really only over the course of about six months. And you don't really, you never really heard of Haggai before, and you never really hear of Haggai again. But he was a prophet of God, speaking God's words, to God's people, and God said, this is information for the ages of my children, Old and New Testament. And so that's why it's in the Bible, and that's why we're studying. So let that be motivation. You know, even as we look at some of these older books or weird books or or even names of books, we're like, is that that really pronounced Haggai? Is it Haggai? Or is it Haggai? (laughs) You know? But these are the very words of God. So the historical context just by way of review, if you've been here and if you're new, it's important to understand where we've been historically. God's chosen people, the Jews, the Israelites, um, had had a sharp spiritual decline. They were not pursuing God throughout the course uh, of the last several hundred years of their history. And God said, finally, enough, enough. Everybody has done what was right in their own eyes and they're they're disregarding me as their God and their and their living lives of sin. So enough. And he allowed a foreign enemy to come into the promised land and conquer the children of Israel. Not only conquer them, but take over the capital, the city of Jerusalem. The walls were breached and they were destroyed. The city was burned. And the center of, of social, cultural, and spiritual religious life, the temple, was uh, sacked. And all of the treasures were removed and the, and the temple walls were broken down. The temple that was built by this, uh, the third king of Israel, Solomon, the son of David, the great king of Israel. So this was, this was terrible. Uh, the culture as they knew it was destroyed and not only was their livelihood destroyed, but they were taken captive, uh, taken prisoner and removed as, as prisoners and paraded as uh, loot back to the Babylonian empire where they remained for 70 years, sitting under the uh, rule of foreign kings. 
Over the course of those 70 years, at, at the end of those 70 years, the great, the great nation of Babylon was itself conquered as an act of judgment by God, which is another story for another day, uh, by another pagan uh, culture, uh, the Persians. King Cyrus defeated the Babylonians, and King Cyrus was a more generous king than the, than the Babylonians. And King Cyrus said, I uh, will allow you to return to your land. I will allow you to return to the land of your fathers. And not only that, am I going to send you home by the thousands and thousands, but I will fund you to be able to rebuild your city and rebuild the temple to your God. What he said, and you can reestablish life. And Cyrus, none of that, but said, "I will reestablish government for you." And so he he appointed uh, Jews to be governors over the Jews. So it wasn't necessarily a foreign power, even though there was a distant foreign power there. So the children of Israel return back to the promised land. Uh, they are conquered in 609. They return uh, to the promised land 70 years later, and they begin building the temple. But they stall, all right? They stall out because they're discouraged. They have um, um, some local people, some people that were exiled from their countries and reestablished in, in Israel were causing problems, but it was kind of minor problems. I mean, they had the authority of the king. They had the financing of the king. But enough for them just to get discouraged and say, you know what? This isn't worth it right now. Maybe later we'll get to the rebuilding of the temple. And so what we have is we have a stalled building of a temple, and we have the book of Haggai, which is written in the, in the year 520 B.C., and there are very specific dates given in the book of Haggai. So we enter into the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai offers four different prophecies, which are four different uh, speakings of God through Haggai to man. Was that a phone? No problem. Danny, real quick, where is this into relation to Nehemiah? Is this the same rebuilding? Uh, later. Okay. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have the exile, the return, they're stalled, Haggai. And then we see in the book of Ezra that the temple is actually completed about three and a half years later. Um, so Haggai speaks four prophecies from the word of the Lord, and it's all pertaining to the children of Israel's neglecting of the rebuilding of the temple, the house of God. By neglecting the house of God, the children of Israel, who were newly freed, um, were neglecting their relationship with the very God that had made them his chosen people. They were neglecting the very God who had preserved them, even though they were defeated in exile. They were neglecting the very God um, that had made promises to them that one day an eternal kingdom would come. So what we're going to look at today is the third of those four promises. The first prophecy uh, that we studied a couple weeks ago, God calls out the problem. He says, you've stopped. You've stopped building the house. He calls out the problem. He calls out the sin. But not only does he call it the problem, but he identifies the consequences. He says, I have actually withheld from you physical blessings. I've actually caused a drought. I've caused your crops not to grow, and I've caused your wells to dry up. Physical problems because you're not obeying my physical commands of rebuilding the temple. But then he also gives a command. He says, build. Go to the mountains, get timber, he says, and build. 
That was the first prophecy. The second prophecy starts off by saying, historically, that the children of Israel obeyed, that they, they did what Haggai said to, by, by word of the Lord. And the, and the second prophecy was very simply God saying, I am with you. And we unpacked all of that means in the course of covenant history last week. And so we enter into the third prophecy, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So that's what we're going to read this morning. Haggai 2, 1 through 9 says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. <coughs> All right, verses 1 and 2 are, it gives the year, October 17th, which we know from the Babylonian capital calendar 520 BC and who the prophecy is addressed to we've already covered these things in the last couple weeks and who these people are and then we look at verse 3 verse 3 asks the question who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing to your eyes so what we know not only from this text but other 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 uh, books of prophecy in the Old Testament is we, we know that there are some children of Israel that survived the entire 70-year exile, that they were alive when Jerusalem was conquered, and so they saw King Solomon's temple. They've been gone for 70 years, and so they know what it, what it used to be like, and it was grand. First Chronicles, you don't have to turn here, First Chronicles 22.14 describes the materials that King David assembled for Solomon to build the temple. Um, also through the book of First and Second Chronicles, we see what the temple looked like. We see very, very clear descriptions, and we see very clear dimensions. Um, no photographs survived, okay? So we, we have artist renditions. Uh, but as of last Thursday... Um, the price of gold is uh, $1,120 an ounce. That sound about right? Anybody in the know on that? I see a, no a nodding head, and I admire that. Um, I had to look it up, you know, goldprice.com. Um, 
So 1 Corinthians or 1 Chronicles 22:14 says that 100,000 talents of gold. All right? That's a lot of gold, right? Well, we don't know because what's a talent? Well, let me tell you, okay? <laughs> a talent is uh, 75 pounds. Okay? So 100,075 pounds times uh, 1,160. Okay, so one ounce is $1,160 times 16 ounces in a pound, right? We're tracking, is uh, seven, 18 grand, okay, $18,000 for a pound of gold. So a talent of gold, which is 75 pounds, one talent of gold is $1.3 million. So one talent of gold, uh, ancient measurement, is 1.3 million times 100,000 is 100, $134 billion worth of gold. Now, let's pause for a second. This temple, um, the temple itself was 90 feet uh, by 30 feet, by 45 feet tall which is about the size of a high school basketball court. Okay? You, you envisioning that? So, uh, it was designed to be a temple, not a mansion. Now, we're living in the modern era where we have skyscrapers and whatnot, but $134 billion worth of gold in a basketball court. You following that? It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. I mean, that... that, that doesn't exist. I mean, there's not a building like that today. Even skyscrapers aren't $134 billion, um, the nicest ones. But that's just the gold. <laughs> you know, there was um, a million talents of silver. So there's 100,000 talents of gold. So silver is only $14 an ounce times 16, times 75, is $17.5 billion in silver also. Okay, all in, the, in a basketball court. Um, the, the, the whole grounds of the temple was, was about the size of half of a football field. Okay, that's the courts and all of that. So uh, big, um, especially by ancient standards, but still, uh, unbelievable. Um, bronze, the scripture says, bronze and iron beyond weighing. So, you know, they knew how much gold, they knew how much silver, but, but bronze and iron, just incalculable. However that word is pronounced. <laughs> incalculable. <clears throat> so people had seen that. People had seen that. Um, and it was breathtaking. I mean, literally. I mean, I, I, we can't really imagine seeing that, but they saw that, that that was the temple of their God in spite of their, in spite of their sin. And, you know, and, and, and then you saw that stripped and looted and, and literally hauled out on shoulders, you know, while, um, I mean, this, the Jerusalem was under siege for a couple years. People were literally starving and eating the heads of horses um, because there's no food left. So as people were withering away, the conquerors had taken out, chipped off the gold on the walls and taken the pillars. The temple was gone and the walls were pulled down and it was rubble. It was destroyed. Um, 
when I was younger, I went on a mission trip to Mexico, and um, we were involved in this construction project to build a school, and it was an empty, uh, trashed lot that was one day going to be built into a school, and it had a cinder block wall, and um, had been a destination for refuse for kind of as long as anybody could imagine, which was this scenario. It had it was it was it was a, a trash heap. You could you couldn't tell what it once was, and even while we were sitting there working, bags of trash would fly over the wall. Um, there were syringes in there, and there were um, literally guts from cow that had been slaughtered and flies everywhere. I mean, it was it was gross. And the children of Israel, as they were there, they were looking at this. And for those who had remembered, it was insurmountable. We can't do what we once did. How can we? I mean, we're funded, but we're not 134 billion plus funded. You know, we we can't. Re- this is this is a pile of rocks. All we've got is the all we've got is the foundation that's left. What we see in this prophecy is that what we're, what we're talking about in verse 3 is, is a reflection on the past. Who here remembers what it once was like? Is it not as nothing now? Who here remembers that this was great, that this was grand, that the nations once gasped in awe and, and wow at who must your God be to be able to have a house like this? It's a memory of the past. And what we see all throughout the course of history is that in order for us, whether us in 2016 or them in 520 BC, to obey or understand God, history is incredibly important. You have to know the past. All throughout the course of history, God's people are called over and over and over to remember. Remember where they have come from and remember their past and remember the promises that God has made. Now, the prophecy doesn't end in verse 3 that says, is it not as nothing in your eyes? <laughs> it doesn't end there. It continues. Verses 4 and 5 say this. It's very encouraging. It says, yet now, well, that was the past, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So we have a moving from the past to the present. That there are three commands by God here. He says this, be strong. But he addresses everybody, all levels, from the top to the bottom. Be strong, king. Be strong, priest. Be strong, people. Now, in my studies of this text, to be strong in this content meant to be resolute, to be confident, to be courageous, to, to latch on to the cause, not just, hey, start working out, not, not be bulky. All right? They already have received the command, build, and they're already doing it. But there's a command here that says, be resolute in the job that you have been called to do. Be committed. Be singly focused in your job. Be strong. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see from the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai, he says, work for I am with you. 
Now, we talked last week, a big part of, of last Sunday was about what it means when the Lord says, I am with you. He says, here, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Once again, you need to know your history. You need to remember. All right, this is a present command, but it is based on a past covenant. None of these people remember the covenant that God made with them when they came out of Egypt personally. None of them were there when they left Egypt. That was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But he says, remember your past, that I freed you from a foreign land. They had just been freed from a foreign land. And he said back when Moses was on Mount Sinai, I am with you. And he's saying to them here now, I am with you. When they left Egypt, he said, I will bring you to a promised land. They're in the promised land. Before, he said, I will make you a great nation. They are there as a great nation, still together in spite of their past. You see the similarities? But remember, not, not, we're not just starting brand new, fresh right here that says, be strong and work. He's saying, be strong and work, but remember the covenant that I am still holding to. That still applies children of Israel, that said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will be with you. Come hell or high water, even if you sin, doesn't mean I'm going to withhold my judgment from you. You just experienced that in Babylon, but I will still be with you. So be strong, be confident, be resolute and work. Be about my kingdom, be about the house of the Lord. Sweat for the kingdom Take action for the kingdom. Do what you need to do because I am with you. And all throughout this text, we see declares, um, I'm sorry, declares the Lord of hosts. Declares the Lord of hosts. Declares the Lord of hosts. It's said several times throughout the book of Haggai, but specifically several times in this text. And the Lord of hosts really means the, the Lord of the armies. The Lord of the armies that this God is the God, if there's anybody that you're going to be strong and resolute with, it's the God of the armies. Later in this text, it says, fear not. Why? Because I'm the God of the armies. I'm not whispering this. I'm declaring it, saith the Lord. The Lord of hosts, work because I am with you. All based on their history. And not only that, but the children of Israel, when they were enslaved in Egypt, and they left Egypt after the ten plagues, you know what they left with? The riches of Egypt. It says that Egypt was so anxious to get rid of the children of Israel because of the plagues that they said, hey, take our gold. Take our earrings. We're going to fund you on your exodus. And it's happening again here from a foreign pagan God. I will fund you as you go about the work of the Lord. That God provides in miraculous ways. So the present command is to be strong. The present command is to work, for I am with you. The present command is to fear not. At the end of verse 5, my spirit remains in you. My spirit remains in your midst. So fear not. Trust in God to protect you. Do not trust in your own physical resources. Do not trust in your bow and arrow. Do not trust in your army. Because you've only been back here for a couple years. You're not established. You are weak. You are vulnerable. But I am the Lord of hosts. So fear not. So there's a past. 
remembering. There's a present doing. And then 6, 7, 8, and 9 is a prophetic prophecy. So, so a prophecy is a word from the Lord. Another type of prophecy is a, is a telling of future events with certainty. You follow? So Haggai was giving prophecies in the context of a word from the Lord. Do this, do this now. But in the last section of this third prophecy of Haggai, we see a prophetic prophecy of what will one day be. So verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord, yet once more in a little while, so we see the future context there, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Um, last Sunday night at our community group, there was a couple that was at our community group, and they're big Broncos fans. And so our community group met... Um, during the Broncos game, but they had watched the beginning of the game at their house. And so when they arrived, they said, hey, the Broncos are up, whatever, whatever. And uh, I, I loosely tracked football. And um, so we had uh, come to a break in our community, maybe between dinner and when we started, and I looked up online who was winning, and the game wasn't over. And I said the score. And uh, the wife was like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. And I didn't realize that they were, gonna, they were recording it and they were going to watch, watch the game. And so I, I want to I not be the spoiler, you know. And so I was watching it, but they didn't want to know the end. They didn't want the end to be spoiled. This is a spoiler alert, okay? This is a spoiler alert. Prophetic prophecy by the word of the Lord through Haggai to the children of Israel applies to us today in the exact same way. This is how it's going to go down one day. Okay? I'm not speeding, speaking figuratively here. This is how it's going to go down one day. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house the house of the Lord, with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So, by way of example, the coin jar in my office, okay? If this represents everything physical on this earth, I mean literally, every piece of wood, every ring, every bar of gold, every um, old college ID, every, um, every dollar bill, if this, is, if this is the entire, if this represents the entire physical possessions, not just money, not just gold, not just precious jewels, 
But if this represents the entire entirety of all that we actually put our fingers on on this earth, God is saying, this is mine right here. This is mine. And one day, even though I'm letting you hold it in your pocket, believer or non-believer, it's mine. And one day, I'm going to shake it out. All right? I'm going to collect it all up, all the good and the bad, and I'm going to collect it all. All right? It is going to be mine. There's nothing, there's not even dust left on this thing. And you know what? Whatever is worthless and valuable and unclean, I'm going to throw it in the fire. I'm going to throw it in the fire. It's going to burn. It's all going to burn. And whatever is left, the entire accumulative wealth of the glory of, of all that is on this earth is going to represent me. And that is a pale representation of me. It's mine. All, it's all mine anyway. All right? So if you remember what it used to be like, that's nothing. If you remember what it used to be like, it's going to be an ugly dung heap in comparison to what it will be because it's all mine. And not only that, but we have the privilege of having the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. What we have in the book of Hebrews is we have inspired commentary on the book of Haggai. The book of Hebrews is the word of God. The book of Hebrews is alive and active. The book of Hebrews was written by somebody that God specifically inspired to write his words to us. And what we see is the author of, of Hebrews commenting and offering commentary on this text in Haggai. <coughs> So it's better than any other book you can buy online, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20, start, starting with verse 25. I think I said 18 earlier. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, speaking of the children of Israel who sinned after they had received the law, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Verse 26. At that time, his, his voice shook the earth. Meaning at the giving of the, of the Mosaic law in the wilderness. But now he has promised, quote, and he's quoting Haggai 2. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Verse 27. This phrase yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, meaning all physical, tangible things, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So all physical things on this earth, everything is going to be shaken out. Only the spiritual will remain, the things that cannot be shaken. Therefore, verse 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, which is what the fear of the Lord is, we discussed in weeks past. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And he will consume all that there is to consume. <clears throat> there are two different ways to look at future promised events when it comes to the coming of the Lord. Two different ways to look at future 
coming promised events when it comes to the, the day of the Lord. The first way to look at it is uh, very encouraging. Okay, So you can look at this rubble, that you can look at this mess, that you can look at this destroyed, uh, less of a carcass of a, of a temple, and, and you can look at it with hope because there is great promise that there is one day that is coming where this will be restored at the spiritual level beyond comprehension. And that is promised to us. That is not like a, a hopeful, but that is promised to us. And we believe the God of the past who made a covenant with us out of Egypt, that, that God will fulfill his promises to us at one point in the future. And there's great encouragement and that there's hope there. That all things will be made new. All things will be made better, unimaginably better. That a true and lasting peace is promised. That rest is coming that we no longer have to battle, we no longer have to fight, we no longer have to cry, we no longer have to worry, we no longer have to let our gut drop every time something or somebody in this world lets us down, we no longer have to be lonely. That things are not as they should be now because this is a mess, but one day, quote, yet in a little while, it will be made right. Revelation 20, 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the new heaven and the new earth have, have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, and God, as God has prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throat saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. So if your life is a wreck, if a piece of your life is a wreck, there's hope if you're a Christ follower. Now, I'm not just saying this as a uh, pithy greeting card, but as, a new, as New Testament believers, what we know is that we are living in a world that is rubble and that a world that is not the, 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 the temple of Solomon. And it won't be until the covenant promises are made full that we will see one day and that one day every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more and suffering will be gone and we will have an eternal hope that is beyond our comprehension, that we will have a rest that we cannot achieve now, that there will be a peace that passes human or pagan or secular understanding. And that there's great encouragement to be had in the future coming of the Lord, that there's great encouragement to be had in the coming promises. And that was the encouragement that Haggai was relaying for the word of the Lord, that even though this is a mess now, a day is coming when everything will be shaken and all the wealth of the earth will be gathered together and God, who is God, will burn wood, hay, and stubble and he will be king forever. It's encouraging. The second way to look at promised future events is ultimately as a sober warning. If things are going well right now for you, or maybe you look at, at, at life and you say, I mean, I can't really complain. Things are pretty good. I mean, maybe things could be better. 
I mean, I think maybe, hopefully, most of us are kind of in that category that things aren't completely falling apart. We're blessed in the modern era. We're blessed with the freedoms that we have in America. But it's easy in this blessed age, this blessed era, where you can get an education if, if, if you so desire. You can get a, a decent job. They're available. We're not living in poverty. Resources are available, and you are still allowed to worship where and when you want in which, whatever ways you want. It's easy for us to slide into an apathy that merits a warning. And that warning is this. There is a day when everything physical is going to be taken away from you and me. That everything on this earth is going to burn or it's going to go back to its rightful owner, God. Um, Hebrews is, is a warning this commentary we see in Matthew the famous text Matthew chapter 6 that says store up your treasures in heaven don't store it up here because it's going to rot it's going to rust the moths are going to eat it it isn't going to last if you have a wallet I want you to take it out most of us do I'm not going to ask you to give it to anybody. All right? Just hold it up so I can see it. Okay? We all have it. All right? Um, when you look at this text, this is going to be removed. This is going to be taken from us. It's, it's going to be taken from us. Our, our finances are going to be taken from us. Our, our skills will be taken from us. Our, our resources, our, our possessions will be removed by the true owner, which is God in heaven. I read a really fascinating article about fine art uh, theft and that there are laws in the fine art world, which I'm not in that world, uh, that basically say if there's a piece of art that is found to be stolen, you must surrender at cost to you. Okay? So I was reading an article about two or three years ago where the owner of uh, H&R Block, who's uber wealthy, uh, bought a painting for $40 million um, and it's hanging in his house. And uh, the recluse who owned the painting, um, when, it went, when it went missing, she never reported it. Um, and one day, her estate, after she passed away, found out that the painting was, in fact, uh, gone. And so they went over to Mr. H&R Block and said, Hand, o hand over your $40 million painting, and, they, and he, they, he had to. So he surrendered the, the piece with, uh, without any recouping of the money. And the person who sold it to them uh, was not responsible either. Your fault. You didn't do your research is what it is. Um, and so there's this big, there's all this certification for these high art this high-end art galleries that, that they, they say we will validate uh, by our insurance that these, in fact, are not stolen pieces of property. So when you get to that place in your career, let me know. Um, <laughs> where you want to put that over the fireplace or whatever. Um, but it's a sober warning that what is not yours will be removed from you. That one day, spoiler alert, 
God is going to have his way, that he is returning, and that our call, that our call now is to be strong, to work, and to fear not. That we are called the kingdom work now, not building on, on our own wealth, assuming that it's ours. That we are called to be strong and resolute, to work, and to fear not. Because one day, we will be standing before the throne of God with nothing but what we have done for the kingdom. There's a whole lot in scripture that talks about God sifting wood, hay, and stubble, precious jewels, uh, the, the, um, the goats and the sheep, those who said, Lord, Lord, but I knew you not. At that point, what have you done for the kingdom is what we're called to now. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your promises, and I thank you for the encouragement that one day, one day, you will make all things new, and that you will call all things to yourself. Father, please help us to be resolute, to be about the kingdom, and to trust in you as the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great Lord's Day. Thanks.